0: Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order.
1: Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to Everyday Acupuncture. I'm Michael Max, and I'm really pleased today to have a good friend of mine with me, Erica Elliott. Erica is a doctor in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and uh, has quite a story, actually, about how she's become a doctor. Erica, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: It's great to have you. So, you're not exactly a conventional doctor, are you?
2: No, I'm not. Not by any means.
1: (laughs) Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. I know that you work with uh, environmental medicine. And, you know, here in the West, we like to really think of ourselves as being separate from the environment where these, you know, bags of skin walking around kind of disconnected. But uh, you've got a slightly different point of view.
2: I, I really do. Actually, I started out as a conventional doctor. I went to medical school and did the full rigorous training. And because I'm an athlete, there's a competitive streak in me, always wanting to excel. And so I excelled so well in medical training in the conventional mode that I, uh, might, you might say I lost my way and ended up practicing in a way that was not in alignment with who I am, who, what my spirit is, and my soul's longing. And, but the... Conventional medicine is very seductive. You get prestige, and there's a huge salary, and you're highly regarded, as I was in the community. And so who wants to leave that, even when they know it's not right?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, how do you end up leaving that?
2: I ended up being kicked off the path by a very horrible illness that nobody had any understanding of. It was misdiagnosed, and uh, the suggestions were misappropriated. And um, I was exposed to toxic chemicals chronically in a what's known as a sick building. It was a brand new building, outgassing a lot of nasty chemicals. And the disinfectants were used in the procedure room right next to my office without proper ventilation. And uh, which would explain why my plants died within two weeks. Every plant I brought to my office died within two weeks. And I'm I'm known known to have a green thumb. And it was very mysterious.
1: Kind of a canary in a coal mine there.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then... uh, also, uh, some very nasty products were used in the building, and they're the same products that are used in most public buildings, like pesticides. And there was one used that's called Dursban that's now banned for indoor use because it's known to cause brain damage. And so uh, I developed some very mysterious symptoms. I was severely tired, and being a former world-class athlete, I had was overflowing with energy. There was always excess energy. I always had to find ways to channel it. I had so much energy. And when I was in that building, I, it took every effort to do anything, even get out of bed. But at first I thought it was some psychological, uh, symptoms I was experiencing because I'd feel better on the weekend. So I thought, surely it must be because I don't really like my job.
1: Right, work-related, the usual thing.
2: The usual thing. Often when people can't understand something, they immediately think it's some uh, unresolved psychological issue. And well, so we I... certainly
1: went, see that with the way that uh, drugs like Prozac get prescribed.
2: Exactly, exactly. And so then I developed... Other symptoms, which I couldn't just write off to my discontent with doing mainstream medicine, where it's like a factory. You have 10 minutes to see a patient with complex problems, and you have no chance to even establish a relationship with them, and you're basically a pill pusher. In mm-hmm. fact, the Navajos, <laughs> I, I learned to speak Navajo when I was a schoolteacher on the reservation at Canyon de Chez, and their word for uh, white doctors was, highly insulting but very truthful it was a zethini which means he who gives out pills <laughs> and i became one of those <laughs>
1: uh-huh even though you didn't set out to to practice that way
2: no that was not why i went to medicine at all uh-huh. so i had to come to my true calling through the back door through through disaster through catastrophe and um and
1: be pushed off that path and uh Sounds like you were more than pushed.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I was. Fall, I fell off the path, mm. just very in bad shape. And so the other symptoms I developed was chronic sinus pain and uh... migraine headaches rashes all over my body i developed acne for the first time in my life as a forty forty one-year-old i'd never had that problem as a teenager and now i have it and so it was terribly puzzling and my joints hurt my whole body was inflamed and and I was highly irritable, and I'm a very nice person. I like to be kind to people. I I, I never want to cause any harm or be sharp with people. And I couldn't control my emotions. Um, I was very moody and huge swings. I didn't know myself anymore.
1: Yeah. It, it sounds like every single system in your body, emotional, energy, endocrinological, hormonal, they, they all got disrupted.
2: Yeah. And so... In my quest to find out what was wrong with me and to understand these absolutely terrifying symptoms I had, the most terrifying one was my brain fog. I, I'd always prided myself on a very sharp, um, quick mind with almost like a photographic memory and I felt like I was becoming demented. I would get very confused. I couldn't track conversations very well. I don't know how I practice medicine. Uh, it probably because any monkey could practice that kind of medicine. You just give out pills. Somebody has a sore throat. You give an antibiotic. If they can't sleep, you give a sleeping pill. Mm-hmm. If if they're upset, you give Prozac. It's it's really an idiot could practice that kind of medicine. So I was able to stay practicing because it required nothing much of my brain. And um, uh, anyway, so I went to different specialists trying to figure it out. And they all were stumped and but they all ended up saying, try an antidepressant. Uh,
1: you know, I see I see this a lot in my practice because I too see people they come in with something weird. I mean, why else do they come to an acupuncturist? They've Yeah. They're kind of at the end of their rope. And generally speaking, one of the things they're coming in when I look at that list of what they're taking, it's there's an antidepressant or some sort of mood med. Yeah. Um and that's generally the last when they've been prescribed.
2: Yeah. It's, it's in your
1: head. Here, this maybe you'll just calm down with this.
2: That's the default diagnosis when a doctor doctors can't stand to say I don't know. It's it's very it's anathema to a doctor. And so they that's the default to say it's a psychological problem when they don't know. I mean I, I have much more respect for doctors who say I
1: don't know. Mm. <laughs>
2: and make something up.
1: Well, you know, it's really a powerful place to begin from not knowing. Yes. I mean, to actually sit in, huh,
2: what is this? Yes, because then you're open, like a real scientist, uh, to um, really observing the data and uh, being open to all sorts of possibilities and not going right away to to the uh, psychological Mm. cop-out mode. And so, anyway, so I, I was so desperate, I took the Prozac. And what happened was I continued to go down the tubes, but I wasn't quite as worried about it. <laughs> and, uh. so, and so I, it gave me a little distance on this disaster. Uh, but it, it was still, I was still getting worse and worse. I started stumbling. And uh, and, and so I, I knew that bumping into things and tripping over my own feet and having a slight tremor had nothing to do with depression. And so finally, I, I just threw that the Prozac out because I realized it, it, it was not in any way helping me except making me a little more detached. And finally, um, it was a patient who sort of saved my life. Hmm. Uh, it was a new patient, a very kind man, and he was on disability, and uh he, he seemed to be quite knowledgeable about a number of different things. And he came into the little cubicle where I worked. There were no windows. It was, uh, you could barely uh, move around. There was an exam table, and a little desk, and a chair, and a lamp, and, um, and another chair for the patient. And that's it. Very cramped, stuffy. So if somebody came in with perfect, I was doomed, um, mm. or fabric softener in their clothes, or Tide, or Cheer. That meant it went straight to my brain, scrambled my brain, and then it was like they were speaking a foreign language. I could understand each word, but I could—I I had difficulty stringing the words together.
1: It's amazing you were still operating at
2: all. <laughs> that, that's the athlete in me, but I keep going even though I'm half dead. <laughs> and, so, and so I was also keep going because, well, You'll find out when I tell you what happened with this young man who came in. So he was, he was giving me his history, and I was trying to write down what I could get of it in my chart. And he suddenly stopped talking, and he leaned over towards me, looked me right in the eyes, and said to my horror, Dr. Elliot, what's wrong? Are you all right? And it was so disarming that all that pent up fear came flooding out. And I put my hand, my head on my arms, and started to sob and sob and sob. And I said, I think I'm dying. And he came over close to me, he put his arm around me, and he said, Dr. Elliot, tell me how you feel. And then through sobs and gasps for air, and uh, blowing my nose. I was able to tell some of my symptoms. And he said, Dr. Elliot, you have sick building syndrome. (laughs) And I, I said, what?
1: Wow, how did he know?
2: I said, how do you know that? And he said, because I feel terrible. Every time I walk in this building, my sinuses hurt. My eyes burn, my throat burns, and I can't wait to get out. And I said, oh, my God. And he said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to make an appointment in two weeks and come back and check on you. And I'm going to bring you a book to read about this problem called Tired or Toxic by Sherry Rogers. She's an environmental physician. And I said, no, no, you you don't understand. I, I can't. I can't read. I can read, but I have no idea what I read. I, I can read a chapter, put it down, and if you say what what did you learn, I I I, I can't say because my I have no short term memory. And he said it doesn't matter. I'm going to give you this book, and you put it beside your bed, and just know that somebody understands you. In the meantime, you have to. Think about leaving this job, and I said, "No, I can't because I'm supporting my baby, and I'm a single mom, and and I I, I have to pay the mortgage, and I have to put food on the table." And who, who, And he said, "You have to find work somewhere else." I said, "Who would want me? I'm so damaged." And he uh-huh. said, "Do you want to just die here?" I said, "No." And he said, "Then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna." really pressure you to quit no no and he said even if I have to tell your supervisor I said no don't do that don't do that
1: you were in quite a bind there huh
2: yeah it's like the alcoholic when there's an intervention and they you know you you confront them and say you have to stop and um and and they protest and I I was desperate because I saw it in black and white if I wasn't there then I'd I'd be homeless on the streets mm. because I was so damaged. My brain was so damaged. My whole body was so damaged. Yeah. Well, This I, is the
1: one last place you were able to uh, make a living.
2: Yeah. And so eventually it got so bad that um, I, I really had to quit. And so I thought this was it for me. I'll probably have to, you know, turn my son over to his absent dad and um, I'll probably just be a homeless person or something and at that point I I got a call from a women's clinic and they said um, we heard you're leaving uh, Loveless Medical Center and uh, we'd like you to come work for us and uh, I said no, I, I can't. I, I'm, uh, I'm too, I'm too damaged. And they said, that's all right. We 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 can work around that <laughs> because they they really liked me because I worked a stint when I had my baby and I needed a place that I could work while I was
1: breastfeeding
2: between patients. And,
1: and there you go, Women's Health Center.
2: Women's Health Center. And so they remembered me and they wanted me back. And so. I told them all the things that were wrong with me, and they said, we'll accommodate you. We'll ask the patients not to wear any scented things, and we'll um, ask the janitor not to use pesticides and so forth. And, um, and uh, so they knocked themselves out, and they allowed me not to take night duty. I wouldn't have to deliver babies. And- so
1: basically the universe opened up and said, actually, here is an opportunity for you.
2: Yeah, so anyway, what? just to uh, fast forward, um, they remodeled their building, and I could no longer work there. So I thought, oh, God, this is the end of me again. And so I, I had to quit because um, it became too toxic for me. And then so all of a sudden, people started knocking on my door and asking if I would treat them in my home. I said, what? <laughs> they said, we heard about what happened, and we have the same problem. And, and they started trickling in and trickling in and trickling in. And pretty soon, I I had a practice in my home, in my living room. And um, it was just a lifesaver, but I didn't have anything to offer them at that point except intense um, listening and concentration and compassion. And when the first patient came after she talked for me for an hour, she said, even though I hadn't offered anything, anything concrete, she, she said, thank you so much. How much do I owe you? And I said, "How much? You, you don't owe me anything. She said, I insist on paying. You're the first doctor that's helped me. I said, but I didn't do anything. She said, you're the first doctor who's really listened to me and understands what I'm going through, and that's worth a lot. And so after I got well enough, I I went and learned environmental medicine, and it helped me help myself, and it helped me help patients, and it opened up a huge universe to me that is so shockingly lacking in our training. It's the effect of what we breathe, what we eat, what we drink, what we touch, what we use in our homes, on our health it, it, it was amazing what I learned and how much now I could help people in a really meaningful way and not give out pills it, it was totally life changing for me and it was it was really what. I was meant to be doing. I wasn't meant to be a pill pusher. That's meaningless. That gives no satisfaction. I'm about relationship. That that has nothing to do with relationship. It's mechanical. It's like a factory. And this was so rewarding. So I had to practice outside of the system, not take insurance, because they have a stranglehold on how medicine is practiced. Mm -hmm. So I had to... So unfortunately, there was no
1: room for the kind of medicine you were practicing. It wasn't even recognized. Something like, let, let me guess, not evidence based.
2: No, that's not the problem. The problem is you take too much. Yes, that's part of the problem. They don't recognize that um, uh, the the envir- the role of the environment. That that is a problem. And but the bigger problem is you're reimbursed by insurance for like fifteen minutes and twenty minutes, half an hour. I sometimes need an hour and a half with patients to do anything totally meaningful because I don't practice cookie-cutter medicine. It's customized. It has to be because we're all genetically different and we've had different experiences in our life that make us different physiologically. And, and so, um, so if I spend an hour and a half I would be reimbursed maybe for a half an hour or something. And they'd review my charts to see why I was even needing that much time. And and so it's really, doctors um, do not have the power and the autonomy that uh, the public thinks. Those were the old days. It's, it's highly regulated by corporations now, and I wanted nothing to do with that. I wanted to practice a kind of medicine that is moral and meaningful and, um, and that I can feel good about and is really actually helpful to the patients and not just covering up their symptoms. And so that's how I came on my real path in life is through disaster.
1: Let's hear it for disaster, huh? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> well i'm i'm, I'm really I'm, I'm deeply touched by this and struck by it i i reflect back on my own life at what at one time felt like horrible missteps or incredible bad strokes of luck and they've landed me in the most incredible place I, i've had people ask me how did how did you get to chinese medicine how did you start doing this and and I'm not kidding when I tell people bad luck that led me to it, that led me through it, led me to it and led me through it.
2: So. You know, I needed uh, something big to get my attention, to get me off the golden path that was so destructive to my soul. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, there's a Zen expression that I heard one time that made an impact on me. There's three kinds of horses there's a kind of horse the rider just has to whisper, turn right, and the horse will turn right. And the second kind, you have to pull on the reins to go to the right and and, and kick a little bit. And the third horse, you have to give him the big stick. <laughs> I think I'm the third horse. The big
1: stick horse. Yeah, I need the
2: big stick.
1: Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email.
2: Because being an athlete, I would have just hung in there and hung in there and hung in there because that's the way I climb, you know, really big mountains is just uh, keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's how I, you know, I was the first American woman to climb Aconkawa, which is the highest mountain in the Western Hemisphere. And so I took some of those principles into my uh, life as a doctor and it just uh, it didn't
1: help. It, help. it helps climbing mountains. It doesn't necessarily help. It doesn't necessarily help when the very process that you're engaged in is the process that's making you ill, and so yes, more it, of it just takes you down.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Uh, Eric, I'm curious how how prevalent is environmentally induced illness? Is I'm I'm not even, I'm not even sure that's the right question, but I'll 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 toss it out that way.
2: How prevalent? is the environment influencing our health. Um, everyone's influenced by it. Even your dog and cat are influenced by it. Dogs are and cats are getting more tumors than we've ever seen in history. And pr- probably it might be related to uh, many things, but I've often wondered about walking on grass that's been herbicided with Roundup and so forth. So we're all affected. Now, um, we have different tipping points based on our genetic makeup based on our uh... life history and so forth and so we're all in the end affected by it some more than others it's just a matter of time some fall quicker than others i did my genetic testing after i learned environmental medicine i started getting more and more answers to many questions I'd had in my past about puzzling things that I had no answers for and the genetics uh, showed me that uh, this would have this bomb would have happened sometime or another in my life because I don't clear petrochemicals uh, very well and so mm-hmm. they, they can back up in my system
1: and this kind of thing is, is I say what's the word traceable or observable uh, if you get a look at your genetic makeup,
2: yeah, but you have to know how to how to interpret it. Some genetic panels are prohibitively expensive, but there's some cheap ones that give a little piece of the detox pathway, like Twenty Three and Me, mm-hmm. two three two three and Me. It gives a little slice of the detox pathway and then you have to send it to uh, genetic genie or something like that to have it interpreted and then you need further interpretation by someone who's trained in it like me to um, interpret further and that little teeny slice of genes can even though it's just a small window that you're looking on your genetic makeup it can tell a lot about how well you clear chemicals. And, you know, the autism is skyrocketing and that is so environmental. And I don't know why uh, people are making up stories about, you know, why this is so like it's just because we're able to diagnose it earlier and better. That That is malarkey. <laughs> it's because our environment is playing a bigger and bigger role. And when a woman is pregnant, the toxic load gets passed to her baby in utero and then if the genetics are such that the baby cannot clear all that toxic load that's being transferred they will have a high probability of having uh, being on the autism spectrum or having learning disorders, behavior problems or chronic eczema, chronic food allergies and so forth and then with breastfeeding it's really sad to say that that's a direct transfer of toxins to the baby. However, the alternative formula is not a good alternative either. So I, I tell the people who want to get pregnant to take six months of intense uh, detoxification and improvement of their diet and do sauna and so forth to prepare for the baby because now it's like Russian roulette. When you get pregnant, you don't know what you're going to What kind of baby you're going to have? What kind of problems? It's not like in the old days, you know. Babies who had real serious problems were a very small percent. You just assume you're going to have a healthy baby. You can't make that assumption anymore. You 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 can't make that assumption, sadly, and because we our barrels are full, Uh, the um
1: the tipping point's a lot closer these days.
2: Oh, yeah. And many people have way long ago tipped.
1: Yeah. How, like, how would people recognize that they're getting close to that tipping point or already over that edge?
2: Well, if they have, um, th- th- there are certain <clears throat> signs, like if you have chronic, let's say, chronic sinusitis over and over again.
1: Holy, that's like 80% of the population in St. Louis, Missouri.
2: Yeah, that, that is um, usually, you've, you've got bigger problems than just that. And that's just the one that manifests it and gets your attention. But that could be chronic uh, fungus in your sinuses. The Mayo Clinic did biopsies in 1999 of pe- people on their way to surgery who had one sinus infection after the other. And they did this experiment, the biopsies, because they their intention was to find out why these antibiotics weren't working. They thought they were going to figure out which is the right antibiotic.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But what they found out totally was unexpected and blew their minds. They discovered that 85% of those biopsies were positive for fungus that was growing in the sinus. And so this is not what they expected. And that meant that these antibiotics were actually digging a deeper and deeper pit for these people because antibiotics initially make you feel better so you say see I knew I had a bacteria in there I feel so much better and they don't realize that antibiotics have a very very powerful anti-inflammatory effect almost like steroids so you immediately
1: huh. I didn't realize that about antibiotics
2: yeah I I've had to learn that myself I didn't we never learned that in school and it's never written about it's through observation I, I've seen people. Take antibiotics for uh, for something that was totally not bacterial, and feel amazingly better. And then after about two weeks off the antibiotics, of course the symptoms came back in in greater intensity than even before. And so that's what's going on with the sinus stuff is um, that the pe- people feel better, and then after a couple weeks after finishing the antibiotics, and the antibiotics meantime have wrecked their beneficial bacteria in their gut, making them even more vulnerable to illness and viruses and so forth. And so after a couple weeks, the sinus problem comes back. But the Mayo Clinic took the experiment one step further, the, uh, the study. They studied how long it would take to get rid of the fungus in the sinuses And um, with nasal antifungal spray, it took eight months because that's how socked in it was in the sinuses. Eight months of doing nasal spray twice a day, antifungal nasal spray. And probably it wouldn't have taken so long if people had gone on an anti-yeast, antifungal diet. Most American diets really promote disease. And the food industry has so messed up our food and um, so it takes a big effort in our times to eat right and to eat in a way that promotes our health and not make us more vulnerable to disease.
1: Mm-hmm. Could you give a couple of basic suggestions on ways of eating that that would help us to regain that vitality? And, and-
2: Okay, I'll give you a few suggestions. And these are just a few because really this is a whole huge talk on itself, how, how to eat for improving one's health. First of all, if you're a meat eater, it would be switching to 100% grass-fed meat. And uh, you have to really uh, investigate if it's really 100% because often it's misleading.
1: Oh, it's very misleading. They they'll often say things like, uh, oh, it's grass-fed, grain-finished.
2: Yeah, and you don't want that. No. Then when the cows are fed grains, they're just as unhealthy as we are. And um, so you want 100% grass-fed, grass-finished. So you have to really be a, a smart consumer. And that's one way you can do it, improve your health. Number two, eat a heavy vegetable diet. Make vegetable the main thing on your plate and everything else like a condiment, like the meat, like a condiment and so forth. And um, next is getting rid of sugar and using stevia to sweeten sugar and things that turn to sugar quickly like milled grains. Milled grains mean grains that have been sent to a factory and turned into something like couscous, tabbouleh, oatmeal, bread, pasta, crackers, cookies, box cereals, chips, tortillas. Those turn to sugar instantly, and that's why we love it. It mixes with the saliva in our mouth, and it's sugar. And those things really uh, are not our friends. It's not in our best interest to eat refined foods like that that are processed and so forth. It's in our best interest to eat primitively grains that have not been to a factory, foods that have not been to a factory, of course with exception like olive oil has to go to a factory and so forth. Mm -hmm. But, But the less tampered with the food, the better. And and GMO food really needs to be avoided. And GMO food is in everything unless it says for corn and soy, unless it actually says organic corn, organic
1: soy. It's so hard to avoid these days.
2: It's so hard, but it's worth trying because what happens, if you, you knew what happened, you'd really be motivated to avoid it. Is um, the, the Let's take corn. So the corn... DNA has been modified in the corn so that it produces a pesticide called Bacillus thuringiensis. So when the insect eats the corn, it drops dead because it affects the nervous system of the insect.
1: So the corn's actually producing its own pesticide.
2: Yes, that's right. And, and then when you eat the corn that's been genetically modified, some of your bacteria, good or bad bacteria, just your bacteria in your gut take up that modified DNA into their own system so your own bacteria become little pesticide producing factories. And that will totally mess up your gut and lead to leaky gut, swollen gut, Gas bloating, food allergies, galore that you never had before. I mean, the, the kinds of food allergies that people are having is so out of control.
1: It really is out of control. now, i'm I'm curious about this because I've been uh, just really cottoning to the whole uh, human binome these days. and just how important, the relationship is with the bacteria that we live with. It's, it's truly a symbiotic relationship. And these bacteria seem to be incredibly promiscuous in that they're constantly swapping DNA. So the thing I'm curious about, all right, so we eat some corn. Now we've got our bacteria taking up some of the DNA. Now they're producing this uh, pesticide in trace, in trace amounts. Is there any way to undo this damage?
2: I don't know. Nobody knows that yet. Nobody knows that. So I, I have to hold out hope for my patients. So I do a lot of um, damage control with my patients, who especially new patients who haven't been following kind of healthy practices, and so we're doing damage control. And so I proceed as though they can improve that, and and uh, we we get pretty good results. I mean, they as the gut starts to heal, we see their allergies become less intense. They're they're sick less often. They feel better. Their mood is better. Their energy is better. But we have to really work hard at building up the beneficial bacteria. People have this uh... magical thinking like they can do all these bad things like and uh, take antibiotics and so forth and then simply take some probiotics for a few weeks and everything will be fine picture this picture like in vietnam war when a village was bombed it, it doesn't it doesn't come back in a few days it takes a lot of work to recreate a village where everybody's getting along and everything's humming along well. Same in your gut. It takes a lot of work to make the gut happy. 85 percent of the immune system lies in the gut. People don't realize that. They think of the gut as just a poop tube and it's not. It's very sophisticated, very elegant. It has feelings. They call it the second brain because it's full of nerve tissue.
1: Right and full of serotonin.
2: Yeah and you can't think a single thought that doesn't register in your gut. And so um, we do violence to the gut all the time. We do thoughtless, horrible things to the gut by eating horrible food, taking a lot of drugs that harm the gut, and being thoughtless and um, thinking terrifying thoughts that terrify the gut. The gut's like a two-year-old. It gets traumatized by some of the thoughts we think. (laughs) And so it, it, it takes a lot of care and consciousness and tender, loving kindness to get the gut back on track and you know things like eating unprocessed food so because if you eat food that turns to sugar quickly the simple carbs the sugars the alcohol then that feeds the fungus and fungus can absolutely make your life miserable
1: so this is part of the the issue with sugar it's not just all the the issues with insulin and insulin resistance and all these things it's actually delightful fuel to the fungus which is a real mischief maker
2: That's what they love. And I I read an article, totally fascinating, that uh, stunned me Uh, about 20 years ago when I was learning environmental medicine about how these organisms, it's almost like they have consciousness and they secrete things to influence how you feel and how you think. It's unbelievable. And the thing that I will never forget is what I read about what yeast does when When they start to die, they're not getting enough food, not getting enough bread and pasta and alcohol and stuff that they love and desserts. Then when they die, they secrete a chemical that goes to your brain and makes you wildly out of control for sugar, like crave it like an addict. And so, you know, sometimes I think to myself, now, who's speaking here? Is this my microbiome or am I in charge here? Who's in charge here? (laughs) Mm. And when you think of it, out of all the cells in your in our body, only 10% of the cells in our body are human. So it's important we keep our colonies happy because w- are we really in control? We have to keep our colonies working together or it won't work right.
1: You know, it's a really interesting thought that we're not just this one thing that we like to think we are. We're these incredible communities. We're, we're actually complete ecosystems
2: absolutely and so when we treat these with total disregard because we're beyond the body or we're so spiritual that we so show no regard for our body that's not my idea of being spiritual by the way but it will come back to bite us because we, we have to pay attention to this vessel we live in and we're, we're just going to feel horrible and life is going to be tough Life already is tough, but it'd be worse when you're feeling awful.
1: I'm always so blown away by the conversations that I have with you around these kinds of issues. I'd like to close with one just one last question. And and that is in terms of environmental toxins, the heavy hitters, what what are some of the big things that people can do to help to help get the load down, to help not be so overwhelmed with these things that are completely disruptive to our systems
2: okay the things that we do have control about is what we eat what we drink and what we put on our body and what we wash our clothes with and what we clean our house with that's a place to start pesticides are one of the most devastating things uh that we can do uh when we expose ourselves to that. So I would just go in your closet and throw out all the pesticides and use non-toxic pest control. That takes a horrible toll on the nervous system, the brain, the immune system. That's number one. Number two, eat organic as much as possible and as much as you can afford. Eat organic. And get rid of all your Toxic laundry products, the fabric softener, the Tide, the Cheer, and switch to something that's not full of petrochemicals, and uh, use non-toxic laundry products in your house. Get rid of the air freshener. That's that's those are petrochemicals. Get rid of your scented candles. You're you're breathing lead into your body. And just start with your the things you have control over, and make your house a sanctuary. That's how I would start with the things that you can actually, that are doable.
1: That sounds completely doable. If there's one space that we should have some influence over, it would be the place that we live.
2: Yeah, and when you remodel, you can consult the book I co-authored, Prescriptions for a Healthy House, and find non-toxic products because... When you breathe formaldehyde, it's a very sensitizing chemical, meaning it makes you allergic to harmless things. And so when you use particle board, press board, plywood, and all that stuff, and do brand new toxic carpets and glues and so forth, um, you're basically poisoning yourself. And our barrels are so full. In the 1950s, people could get away with all kinds of terrible things, smoking, drinking, using nasty stuff because their barrels weren't full our barrels are totally full we don't have room for more stuff to put in our bodies we are full up
1: well that's that's great and we'll also put a a link to that book on the show notes page because anyone that's considering remodeling their sanctuary is, is going to need to know about this
2: and also one last thing I'm particularly interested in the health of babies and children, and I've seen parents so excited about the baby that's coming into their lives that they remodel the baby's room, and then the baby ends up with having dreadful allergies and eczema, chronic respiratory problems because the room is so toxic, and it's totally tragic.
1: Yeah, here they are trying to do the best that they can, and uh, they're actually immediately causing some problems. You know, it seems simple once you say it, you know, it's right there in front of you if you just stop to think about it.
2: Yeah, we have to stop doing what we're habitually doing and start thinking beyond this narrow, narrow box and uh, in order to try to maintain our
1: health. Well, it sounds like people are calling for you, so so I think this would be a good time to end it. I. Erica, thank you so much for being on the show. It's, it's always a delight to talk with you. I always learn so much, and I think the listeners of the show will really appreciate what you've had to say here today.
2: It was my pleasure, Michael.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.